Let's turn to Galatians chapter 1. It's my wife's favorite book in the New Testament. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It's so powerful. It's able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's there to equip us, to equip the saints. We thank you so much for it. We thank you so much for your Holy Spirit who reveals Christ to us. And I pray that today that would happen in this place. I pray that your people would be encouraged and that your sheep would be fed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a group of churches in the Roman province of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing this letter because there is a false teaching going around saying that in order to be saved, one must not only believe in Jesus Christ, but also observe all of the Jewish laws, all 613 of them. That's the qualification for salvation. And so the Apostle Paul writes to combat that lie, saying that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith in the Son of the living God. Paul wants these people to know that his message isn't made up. It's not made up by a group of men who are hungry for money. He didn't learn it at a seminary. He didn't learn it at the feet of some great rabbi, but rather he received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul got his message directly from God, directly from the source. And he seeks to prove this by giving his own personal testimony, which other people can bear witness to and say, yeah, one time the Apostle Paul was Saul and he was this way, but now he's that way. He's completely different. He's Paul, the apostle. And it has everything to do with his faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I want you guys to know this, that your own personal testimony, your testimony, your experience of the gospel is a mighty witness to the validity, its supernatural origin, and its power. So with that, let's read Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. The Word of God. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown 
to the churches of Judea that are in Christ, they only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. That is an amazing, amazing verse. So that's our text. We're going to break it into three parts, okay? His pre-conversion, his conversion, and then his post-conversion, what happened to the Apostle Paul after he got saved. And I want you guys to think of your own personal testimony while we're looking at his. Some of our testimonies are wild and crazy like mine. Some of us in here have been saved uh, since you're a little child. But each of our testimonies are unique and they speak of the power of our God, how he is alive and how he is working in our lives. Okay, so let's look at point one, Paul's pre-conversion life, verses 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So the first thing Paul uh, says here, he wants them to know that this gospel right here is from God, that this is the true message, okay? This, this thing was designed by God. This was God's plan from before the foundation of the world. I just hear his heartbeat here. I hear his concern for the people, his love for the people, that they would not be deceived, that they would not be led astray, that they would not be misled. I hear his heartbeat for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it would not be perverted, that it would not be changed or altered or distorted. He just has a concern that these people would understand that this is the one message that is from God. See, the Apostle Paul understands something. He understands that there is only one way to get to heaven, and that is through this gospel message, through the person of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through, except through me. No other message has that uh, message right there. He understands that there is one door of salvation, and that door is Jesus Christ. He understands that there is one hope of salvation, and that is Jesus. He understands that there is one path that leads to life, and it's a straight path. That there is one gate that leads to life, and it's a narrow gate. He understands that there is only one name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. And he really wants this, the people to understand this. He's concerned for them. And he's willing to go out of his way to fight for them, to contend, as Jude tells us in verse 3 of his epistle, for the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints. So with that, let's move into his testimony, verses 13 and 14. He says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So before the Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, he was one of the separate ones, one of the Pharisees. This was a sect of Judaism that was extremely pious. They thought that they had perfectly obeyed all 613 Jewish laws, all of the Mosaic laws, plus 
all of the oral traditions passed down from the rabbis. They were self-righteous. They did not believe that they were sinners. They were all about their own works. They were all about the law. It was all about them. They were numero uno, no room for God for the most part. That's who the Pharisees were. They, they were anticipating the coming of a political Messiah, one who would rescue them, not from their sins, but from the rule of Rome. And so when Jesus Christ showed up on the scene, and he wasn't talking about overthrowing the Roman Empire, but rather he was preaching that they, the righteous and holy Pharisees, needed to repent and believe in him, like the prostitutes needed to, like the tax collectors needed to, when they started hearing that stuff from Jesus Christ, it did not sit well with them. They didn't like hearing that. They liked hearing, praise you, praise you, rabbi. That's the kind of stuff they like, they like to hear. So when they started hearing these things from Jesus, they began to persecute him. They began to blaspheme his name. He's the only holy being in the entire universe, the son of the living God. And yet they said that he was a man possessed by a demon. Horrible things that they would say about Jesus. And they are the ones who are responsible for planning his execution. So this is the kind of guy that the apostle Paul was before he was a Christian. In Acts chapter, uh, I think it's eight, it talks about how he was obsessed with ridding the world of Christians, stomping out the name of Jesus Christ. It didn't matter uh, if you're a man, a big strong man, or a petite woman. He wanted the world uh, to be ridded of us, of anyone who believed in Jesus Christ. It didn't matter where you were in Israel. He was going to find you. That was his mission in life. And he was he was really benefiting from it. He was advancing in status, advancing in prominence, advancing in position amongst the religious elite. He was really going places because he was persecuting Christians. He was getting a lot of pats on the back because of it. So what happens to this guy, in my opinion, is absolutely astounding. It is amazing because this guy wasn't at rock bottom in human standards when he got saved. He wasn't in the gutter, but he was at the top of the world, okay? He was being promoted, he was being praised, he was being glorified in the eyes of man. It's incredible what happens to this guy. So I asked myself, how does a guy like the Apostle Paul, who's all about law, who's all about his own righteousness, who persecutes Christians, how does a guy go from that to all of a sudden being a preacher of grace that you can't be saved by anything you do? You can only be saved by trusting in Jesus Christ. How does something like that happen? How does a guy like this, the Apostle Paul, go from wanting to, 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 to stamp out the gospel to being one of the greatest preachers of the gospel the world has ever known, literally turning the world upside down. How does something like that happen? How does someone like Billy Graham, who said himself in his own autobiography, uh, what did he say? He said, 
I want nothing to do with anyone who has the title evangelist. How does a guy say something like that turn out to be one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever known, preaching the gospel to multitudes of millions of people all over the world? How does something like that happen? How does a guy like Pastor Ross, when he was a teenager, who wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ, nothing to do with Jesus, didn't understand why we read the book, why we went to church, why we lived the way we live, didn't understand it, wanted nothing to do with it, literally, actually opposed street evangelism, evangelist, opposed them. I don't want to go into too much detail. <laughs> How does a guy go from that to all of a sudden being all about Jesus, to walking out of a disco, giving his life to Jesus, going home, picking up a Bible and sharing it with his roommates, and then going off to Bible college, and then becoming a missionary to Japan with his family, and then planting this church and being one of the greatest preachers and pastors I've ever heard. How does that happen? Moving along. I ask myself, how did I get here? How did you get here? How does this happen to us? It's a one-word answer. The answer is God. It's God Almighty. He exists. He is real. He is revealing himself to people through the message of the gospel. The Apostle Paul, Billy Graham, Pastor Ross, myself, you guys, we've all had a supernatural encounter with the living God. The God of heaven has reached down into our hearts and transformed us through this message. And that's what Paul is telling us. This is from God. This doesn't just happen magically. And that brings us to our second point, uh, Paul's conversion Verses 15 through 17. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. I'm going to stop right there, so 15 and 16. So you can read uh, about the apostles' conversion in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to sum it up for you. Uh, in Acts 9, it tells us that, that he was breathing out murderous Threat. So he was absolutely out of his mind, obsessed, fanatical, crazy about killing Christians. You, you couldn't talk sense into this guy. He wasn't going to sit down with a Christian and have a nice dialogue about how Jesus wasn't really the way and how Jesus wasn't really, it wasn't going to happen. He wasn't going to have coffee with you, wasn't going to have lunch with you. One word for Christians one thing that he had to say to them, and that's recant. Recant your faith, deny Jesus Christ, reject Jesus Christ, blaspheme his name, or you're dead, or you're going to jail. That's the kind of guy the Apostle Paul was. That's the frame of mind that he was in. In that frame of mind, he got warrants for the arrests of Christians. And he went all the way up to a foreign city called Damascus, 
And he was, while he was on his way there with several of his companions on this mission trip, that's when something happened to him, something supernatural, something amazing, something that has happened to each and every single born-again Christian in our own unique way. As he's going up there, the Bible says that a light flashed from heaven and it shined all the way around him. It was so bright, he says, that it blinded him. Brighter than the brightness of the sun. And the Bible says that he heard a voice speaking from heaven. There was a voice speaking. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And the Apostle Paul, can you imagine? He's just in shock. He's blinded, he can't see, he's hearing God speak from heaven. And he says, he says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, God? Who are you? And he gets one answer from heaven, and you guys know the answer, one answer. I am Jesus. I am Jesus. Jesus is God. He is the one who is speaking from heaven. If anybody wants to know who the true God is, if anybody wants to understand what the true faith is, I mean, it's very confusing. I can imagine. I just don't know what to do, God. I I know that you exist. I can tell. I, I look at the creation. There must be a God. There must be. But I just, I don't know which one to believe? You got the Muslims, you got the Jehovah's Witnesses, you got the Mormons, you got the Buddhists, you got the New Age, you got millions of religions to choose from. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. If a person is in that position and they set their heart to diligently discover the truth and they pray in faith and say, God, I really want to know what the true faith is. I really want to know who you are so I can serve you, so I can live for you. They will hear one word from heaven, one answer on that journey. I am Jesus. That is the answer anyone will get. Jesus is God. Jesus is the way. That's what Lee Strobel discovered. Lee Strobel is very, a very famous Christian, the author of A Case for Christ, The Case for a Creator, The Case for... Lots of different things that we believe in. <laughs> um, he was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, and he was an atheist. And his, he, he, he decided one day that he was going to set out to disprove the Bible, to disprove Christianity. He knew that Jesus didn't die. He knew that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. So what's up with all these crazy Christians? They're fanatical about this Jesus guy. I'm going I'm to solve their problem once and for all. I'm going to prove it's fake. And he went on that journey, and he diligently sought out the truth, and he found out one thing, I am Jesus, amen? Something happened to him, he became a born-again Christian, because he found out that there is a God in heaven, and his name is Jesus. Now, what I love about the Apostle Paul's conversion is not how he got saved, I mean, it is amazing with the light from heaven and the voice of Jesus Christ speaking. I look forward to seeing his glory and hearing his voice. It's not so much how, but it's when he got saved. 
He got saved when he was so far from God, when he was literally uh, putting to death God's people, when he was literally persecuting Jesus Christ himself. That's when the grace of God found him. And to me, that just amplifies the grace of God, helps me to see it clearly. It magnifies the grace of God. Man, my God is gracious. He is amazing. He is the God of all grace, as Peter tells us in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. Ephesians says it's by grace, it's by God's unmerited, undeserved favor that he pours out on us. It's by his grace that we are saved through faith and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Now this reminds me of my personal testimony. Eight and a half years ago, I was out of my mind. I was crazy so far from God. I wasn't fanatical about ridding the world of Christians. I was fanatical about doing things that I don't even feel comfortable anymore speaking from uh, the pulpit about. The party lifestyle. All of those just evil things. And that was up in Idaho and I ran away from that lifestyle thinking I could get away. I can get away from all of this stuff. I can save myself and I came down here to California and the same thing started happening again. The same circumstances, the same problems because I was here in California. My problems just followed me because I am the problem. And so it's there. For me, it was there in my worst when I was so far from God. That's where God's grace found me. About six or eight months ago, I went to uh, the Redwood Gospel Mission with Jay, and Jay was going to share a devotion with the guys there at the Gospel Mission. And I sat down next to a young man out of all the places uh, in the building. I sat next to this one young guy who was sitting all by himself in a row, like right over there. And I just went and I sat by him. And he looked like he had been drugged in off the street. His hair was just greasy and dirty and all that and his clothes looked like they had just been given to him and he had actually just been brought in off the street he was a heroin addict so he was just a train wreck and so uh, we began to talk about the gospel together and we began to talk about my testimony a little bit and through that conversation he realized that Jesus was the son of God and he wanted to give his life to him his life was completely changed God's grace met him right there, right where he was at, at his worst. And today, I just, I love this. He, he's just, he's such an awesome Christian. He's getting ready to go to Bible college in like 20 days. Isn't that, amen, hallelujah, praise God. So now what about you guys? What about your testimony? It's important, it's powerful. When did you get saved? Some of my favorite testimonies are the testimonies of people who say they got saved when they were a little kid. Because they're so powerful. What you're saying is that God revealed himself to me when I was this little. And I've been walking with him my whole life. You can tell people, hey look, God's been faithful to me my entire life. Let me tell you about how good he is. Amazing testimonies. Did you get saved in a Bible study? 
Did you get saved watching a Billy Graham crusade on television? Did you get saved listening to a preacher on the radio? Did you get saved over the phone like I did, sitting in an RV talking to my grandma? Was, yeah, that's how I got saved. That, that's simple. Are you saved? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? There might be someone in here who doesn't know the Lord, who doesn't have a testimony, who hasn't experienced the grace of God in the way that I am talking about it right now. God wants to reveal himself to you. God is real. God is alive. Jesus Christ not only died on that cross for you, but he rose from the dead and he has a promise. His promise is that if you will call on his name, if you call out to the name of Jesus in prayer, simply Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the son of God. Guess what? He is going to reveal himself to you. He is going to make himself known to you, giving you the free gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of all of your sins, and the greatest relationship you could ever imagine, a relationship with the God of the entire universe. It's amazing. Amen? Amen. Now, my favorite testimony in the Bible is that of the Roman centurion. Uh, This guy was in charge of overseeing the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He had one He had one order from Pilate, make sure he's dead. Make sure that man doesn't come down off that cross alive. And he took that that charge very seriously. Uh, He was an eyewitness to every single detail of that day. Everything that happened to Jesus Christ, he was there overseeing it. He was the one who gave the command, pierce his hands, pierce his hands feet. So he saw it all. He was in charge of it all. Now, after standing there on Mount Calvary for six hours, he heard Jesus cry out from the darkness. He heard him cry out and he saw him give up his spirit. He saw Jesus Christ die. And this is the part that I love the most because it just reminds me so much of the testimony of each and every single Christian. The Bible says that when he heard his cry and when he saw the way that he died, he said this, surely this man was the son of God. Surely this man was the son of God. That's how it happens for Christians. We hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's just something about about how he cries out to us in the gospel. It's something about, something about, there's just something about the way he cries to us. He's speaking to my heart and it's something, it's something about the way he died on that cross. It's that he died for me. It's that he died for my sins. It's that he hung there bleeding for me. That's amazing that God would love me, a man who is so far from him, a man who never wanted anything to do with him. It's just something about the way he died. And at that moment, when I recognized that, when I recognized that he died for me, for my sins, I said, surely this man is the son of God and I will serve him. Amen? Isn't that how it happens? So our testimonies are powerful. God wants to use your personal 
testimony as a complement to the gospel. It's like the cherry on top of the cake, folks. It just makes the gospel that much more powerful. Romans 1.6 says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So if you're saved, if you're a born-again Christian, if you know the Lord, your testimony is evidence of the truth of that Bible verse. So we should be sharing our testimony with the world. Amen? And that brings us to our final point, uh, what Paul did after he got saved, verses 17 through 24. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia, Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Sorry, I lost my place. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Fantastic. So here the apostle tells us of his travels and activities following his conversion uh, to prove one point, that his gospel is from God because he's a completely different person now. He's doing completely different things now that he's saved and now that he's a Christian. So he tells us that his first three years after being saved, he spent time in Arabia and Damascus. And Acts chapter 9 tells us exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing there. It tells us that instead of going into the synagogues and dragging Christians out, he was going into the synagogues and proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It tells us that he was baffling people by proving from the scriptures that Jesus was indeed the Christ. Amazing transformation with this guy. So amazing was the transformation that the Jews wanted him dead. They, want, they didn't want anything to do with this guy. And so they chased him out of town. And he comes down to Jerusalem. And he's there back in his own hometown. And what is he doing there? The same exact thing. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Proving that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And being persecuted for it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says right here that Christians were praising God because of him. And so, so he gets chased out of Jerusalem and they have to send him off, the brothers in Christ, send him off to Cilicia, which is the Roman province from, what, from which he's from. So he gets saved. He's no longer Saul. He's now Paul. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's being persecuted for his faith and Christians are praising God. So it's amazing transformation. This is a totally different person totally different character. He's got a totally different life. You see, when a person believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, when a person connects with the living God, they will find themselves doing things that they have never, ever done before. 
They will find themselves doing things that they never imagined they'd be doing in a million years, like standing at a pulpit preaching the gospel <laughs> for my favorite pastor in the world. I mean, come on. They'll find themselves uh, reading their Bible and actually enjoying it, loving the Word of God, actually wanting to obey it. That's amazing. Before I was a Christian, I wanted nothing to do with the Bible. But once I got saved, I became a Bible-aholic, okay? <laughs> Loved this book so much that when I was a brand new Christian, I lived in Petaluma, and I only had a bicycle, and I lived out on Stony Point Road, and my church was Calvary Chapel, Petaluma, and that was on the other side of town at Kenilworth Junior High School. So it was a long ride. And so to occupy my time, uh, I would, on my bike ride, to occupy my time, instead of listening to headphones, I would read my Bible. So I'd be reading and writing my Bible. <laughs> Ask my wife. I was safe, though. I did it on straight stretches, no curves or anything like that. So that's a true story. So you just find yourself doing things you never thought you'd do before, like praying, like, like sharing the gospel, like going to church and actually enjoying yourself, wanting to be around the people of God. First time I ever went to church after I got saved was Coastside Community Church in Pacifica, California. A sweet little church. Uh, pastor Dave Leppard, I love the guy. He's an amazing pastor. Anyways, I walked into that building and I just felt like I was at home. The people were praising God, clapping their hands. And I was like, wow. I was clapping my hands too. I thought this is what I'm supposed to be doing. The preacher was preaching and I was, my mouth was like, <laughs> I could hear someone speaking to me through this man. I could hear God. I was like, wow, this is where I'm supposed to be. I never had that before. Never even wanted anything. To, didn't even know it existed. I didn't understand why people went to church. You see, the Bible says that when you experience the power of the gospel, that you become this new creation in Christ, as Paul tells the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. No more Saul. The new has come. Now the apostle Paul, that is the power of our gospel. And that is Paul's point. This gospel is from God. This is the real deal, folks. And the evidence of that is the life-changing power that is implanted within the gospel. Therefore, the gospel should be obeyed it should be believed, it should be lived out, and it should be preached in the world. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your gospel. It is so powerful. It has changed our lives. It has brought us into a relationship with you, the God of the entire universe. We are so thankful for your gospel, Lord. I pray that each and every person that walks out of this place will be so uh, just encouraged as they think about their own testimony and your powerful gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.